This is Joy Wagner. All of us have experienced the death of a loved one, and that deep loss brings about a variety of responses from us. Things happen to us physically as a result of this grief, and emotionally, of course, but then also spiritually, there are questions that come in our minds that we're not quite able to understand for a while. In 2 Peter 1.3, we read that the Bible has everything we need for life and godliness. Death is a big part of life. So God graciously teaches us so many rich lessons through his word about how we can deal with the grief that will come into our life at one point or another. I decided to interview several ladies who have gone through a variety of kinds of losses, and they're going to share with us both their struggles as well as their victories and how they were ministered to during that time of deep grief. This is Melanie Forrest, and Melanie and I have been friends for several years. Melanie, tell us about when you got saved. I grew up in a Christian home, went to a Christian school and church. I made a profession of faith when I was four years old, one night after Awana. Awana is a kids program focused on learning verses, learning about God. It's a wonderful kids program that I grew up with. And my mom was the director of Sparks, which was for ages kindergarten through second. However, because I was four, I wasn't old enough to be in there. But because my mom was the director, I got a few extra privileges. I got to sit in during what was called council time, which was the time where Bible stories were told. There was one night on the way home, my sister Cindy had just said in the car that she wanted to be saved. I honestly don't remember what the lesson was about that night. But with my sister being just a year older than I am, I wanted to do what she was doing. Sure. So I said I wanted to be saved too. So when we got home, my parents took Cindy into the family room and had me go back to the bedroom just to kind of think about what decision was being made. My parents talked to Cindy and Cindy prayed to the Lord, forgive her of her sins and save her. And then after they got done talking with her, they got me and we talked. I'm not even sure that I fully understood Mm -hmm. what everything was, but I prayed what was called the sinner's prayer. You know, I asked the Lord to forgive me of all my sins. I did understand what sin was and that it was doing something that went against what God wanted. Right. Grew up with that knowledge in my head about that time that I prayed the prayer. It it was while I was in college, I heard a message on hell. I never heard a message like that on hell before. And it was the realities and the grimness of hell. I walked away from there thinking, that's someplace I would never want to go. Went home that night. I didn't sleep because my mind just kept focusing on that. Even the next day, I just kept focusing on that and what he had said. I realized that profession that I had made when I was four years old wasn't real. I mean, Mm. I had that head knowledge of what it meant to be a Christian and to be a follower of God, but I did not have the heart knowledge It wasn't real in my heart. I was what I would call a pretend Christian. That evening, I just went off by myself and just prayed, asked the Lord to forgive me for the fakeness of what I was living, to truly save me and make that real. It was more than I just knew it in my head. I was finally believing it in my heart. 
you know, it's kind of a sobering thought when you think that Jesus said that the demons believe and they tremble. So even messengers of Satan believe that Jesus is the son of God, but it's just getting it to the personal level where it means something in who we really are. And that was one of the examples that was preached about that the demons do believe satan believes it's of the lord's mercy that he allowed you to come under that kind of conviction there's a verse in romans that says the goodness of god leads you to repentance which is what happened in your life not only when you were little you started to understand some of the concepts but the goodness of god showed you as an adult your real condition. Right. And I think that is such a scary thing when children do get saved, especially growing up in a Christian home. Not saying that it that what happened with me happens with everyone. I could have just said, oh yeah, I made that profession when I was four. I'm good. And then the grim reality would set in. No, I am far from good. Well, let's fast forward quite a few years. Tell us a little bit about the circumstances behind your sister's death. Sharon's my oldest sister. It was around October of 2015 that she just started not feeling well. She was constantly going to the doctor, trying to find out what's going on. Her doctor had originally diagnosed her as having ovarian cysts and had just determined the best solution to take care of this was to have surgery and have those cysts removed. I remember talking to her before she was telling me about having to have the surgery. I said, well, what if something more than cysts? And she said, well, they'll just remove it and remove my ovaries. She was able to have her surgery scheduled the beginning of February of 2016. While she was in surgery, they did discover it was not cysts, but it was cancer. At that time, they did a full hysterectomy Once she recovered from that, she began her chemotherapy towards the end of March of that year, 2016. And how old were her sons at the time? Her oldest, Matthew, was 15, and her youngest, Andrew, was 8. And I remember the day of her surgery. The boys were at school. I got the word that it was cancer. I was taking the boys home from school. They were asking me lots of questions that I couldn't answer. Plus, I did not want the news coming from me. We wanted the news to come from their dad. Sure. We had arranged to meet their dad for dinner at a local restaurant there. And so he broke the news to the boys. Rewinding a little bit, a couple years before that, Sharon was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so she had gone through the chemo and the radiation. This poor lady. Yeah. So ovarian cancer is a whole different type of cancer than lymphoma. Sharon began chemo and radiation at the end of March of 2016. That was very shortly after her surgery then. Right. She had about six weeks of recovery from her surgery. And then they started the chemo and radiation. She completed those treatments, did go into remission, but she was only in remission for about four months. When the ugly monster came back again. Yes, and came back with a vengeance. During that time that, that she was in remission, she and her family had moved out to Vermont to help with a church. Shortly after they had moved out there, she then began to not feel well again. Kind of in the same ways that she wasn't feeling well at the beginning. Talk about fear. Right. So she went to the doctor. It was discovered that the cancer had returned. Nine times out of ten, when cancer comes back after being in remission, it's nasty. 
just in the course of making sure she got the best treatment, they decided to move back to Illinois in December of 2016. She was going to go back to her oncologist. I remember I picked her and my mom up at the airport the day after Christmas of December 2016. And when I saw Sharon, she said to me, moving back here has saved my life. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Because she felt like she was going to get better care. Obviously, her oncologist knew her history. She went back to her oncologist. He started her again on, I believe, was a different chemo drug and radiation. But ultimately, those did not work. And um, it was taking a beating on her body in the meantime. It was. I remember one time when she was in the hospital, I went in to see her. And it kind of shocked me at first because she had a DNR, do not resuscitate, bracelet on. I think that was the first time the grim reality set in with me. Of course. She did try those treatments. She did try to get into various studies that her oncologist would direct her to. But most of those studies, she was already too weak to do those experimental treatments. Right. In December of 2017, so a year later... We discovered that the cancer had spread to her bones. It was decided at that time that the best thing would be not to try any more treatment and for her to go on to hospice. The day she registered for hospice, they had come out during the day. That evening, she hemorrhaged. From best we could tell, the tumor was pressing on a blood vessel. And so on December 20th, of 2017, she passed away. Between the lymphoma and the ovarian cancer and all of the results after that, in the bones and everything, she had a long process of doing okay and then not doing well and then doing terribly. That seems like a lot for family members to deal with. So how did you handle that that emotional pendulum and how did that affect you emotionally? The best way I know how to describe it is like we were on a roller coaster ride. Right. As soon as we would experience an up, a down came just as quick. I remember often thinking, especially when I'd find out she was going to the hospital or she's got this problem, my mind would often go to, okay, Lord, what next? What else can she handle? What else can we handle? One verse that I just kept quoting to myself was 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's a present tense. That's right. That's not something that in the past. That's not something in the future. That's something for right now. As we were going through all that, I know Sharon felt weak. Sharon was tired. Sharon was done fighting, but we all felt that way. When we do feel those weak moments, those down moments, remembering that God's grace is more than sufficient. You were working at the time, right? Yes. Okay. So did you find that work was actually a help to you to kind of get your mind off of it? Did you feel like it was kind of a distraction, like you wanted to be with her instead of having to go to work? A little bit of both. The church and school I was working at, Sharon had taught there for several years. So of course it was always, how's Sharon doing? Right. What's going on with Sharon? When sometimes I just went to close my office door and not say anything to anyone. Understandable. I know you were very involved with caring for the whole family during this long, drawn-out process. 
How were some specific ways that you were able to help them? The biggest thing I was able to do was things for her boys. I couldn't always do things for her. More often than not, her appointments were when I was at work. It was nice being at the school where the boys were attending. So I was able to be there for them, whether it was taking them home from school or if Sharon had an appointment that ran late and she and Jim couldn't get back to get the boys on time. They had a place to hang out in my office, you know, maybe get a jump start on homework or just relax. Even at times when the boys were just having a rough day, they would come and flop down in my office for a little bit and just talk for a few minutes. That's such a huge gift that you were able to give to them and that God orchestrated the details of your lives to make this all happen. Even geographically, not everybody's close enough to their nieces or nephews. If they were in a similar situation, they couldn't do that. For me being over there, it was through Sharon. That's interesting. Sharon's the one who started the process of me moving from from Michigan over to Illinois when she was healthy. I'm just going to throw this in here. I remember trying to make that decision. I had nieces in Michigan close by. I really didn't want to leave. I didn't want to leave my parents. I didn't want to leave my other sister, Cindy. I struggled with that decision, what to do. And I remember my mom saying to me, Melanie, I don't know what it is, but one day Sharon's going to need you over there. That is very interesting. And as soon as she said that, I had this peace came over me and I knew that's what I needed to do. I totally forgot she said that until the day Sharon told me that she was diagnosed with the lymphoma. And then that came flooding back to me. I'm like, Lord, this is why you have me here. Wow, that is amazing. There's a verse in Proverbs that says that a man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. We can make plans, we can conjure up all the ideas (laughs) we want, but the fact that you can look back on that even just a few years later, and you can see the direct hand of God to take you to the exact location, not even just a few hours away. You needed to be within minutes. There were a couple of times where Jim and the boys had to go someplace. And so I had the time to sit with Sharon, just she and I. Those are some of the most precious times to me. And I think that grew our bond. I'm sure it did. She was six years older than I am. And so growing up, you were just the brandy little kid. (laughs) I was the snotty little, let me harass you little sister. And of course, the older we got, the less that became. And just being over there with her, we were still sisters, but we became friends. So beautiful to think about. Yes. Some of the things that you did for Sharon and her family... Did you just come up with those on your own or did somebody encourage you to do that? And would that be encouraging for people to do to someone who is not a family member? Most of them I either came up with and did on my own or Sharon or Jim asked me to do it. Can you bring the boys home or can the boys hang out with you until Jim can get there to pick them up? Sharon had chemo or something like that. And I didn't care what it was. I was going to do it in a heartbeat. I would rearrange plans so that I could help them in whatever ways. But I think that much of that would also be a huge help and a blessing, even if it's not a family member. Exactly. That you could just think of, oh, maybe their kids need a ride home from school or... Maybe I could pack the lunches for their kids for school or whatever it is. That would be a great help. I know of other families who would take the boys home 
there were times that even families from school and families from their church did meals without being asked. I have a friend who, after Sharon had passed, she came up to me and said, I'm doing a meal for you guys. What do you like? That's a great question. It wasn't, can I do a meal for you? It wasn't, what can I do for you? She told me that she doesn't ask that. She just says, I'm doing this. And then she does it. This is the same friend at Sharon's funeral. She said, I want to play the piano. Will you have a piano there? Hmm. That really kind of rebuked me. I'm like, I need to stop asking because when you ask the person you're asking, when they're going through something like this, they don't know what they need. Right. Just go ahead and volunteer. Go ahead and do it. Don't wait for them to ask. Or don't wait for the meal drive to go around the church, you know? Exactly. If you see a need, then just see that need fulfilled. Well, and even if it's a little thing that you don't think might make a difference, those are the things probably that would make the most significant difference. Exactly. What verses or passages in the Bible or even characters in the Bible have been extra comforting to you? Maybe that was while Sharon was sick. Or maybe that was after she'd already gone on to glory. There are so many. This is why I don't delete old text messages. I had a friend whose dad was going through a battle with leukemia. His battle started later than Sharon's, but it overlapped a little bit. We would text verses or devotionals back and forth. Just a few that I thought of. During this time, I loved the Psalms. Psalm seventy-three twenty-six. It says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And I thought about it. Sharon's flesh and heart was physically failing. Watching a loved one go through something like that. Our hearts can fail too, but God is that strength. Another verse, Lamentations 3.32 says, but though he caused grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. That's beautiful. No matter how hard things got, God was always there to comfort us. A common one that really I focused on a lot because I memorized it as a kid. First Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxieties or cares on him, on God, because he cares for you. It's easy to sometimes forget that God does care. When we're going through those low moments, even at that time, God still cares. That's right. We can give those burdens to God and he will help relieve them. We might tend to think, well, God knows my burdens. God knows what I'm dealing with. But he asked us in Psalm 62, it says to pour out your heart before him. So on those moments, say it to God to say, I don't understand why this is happening. Or my heart is aching for Sharon because she's hurting so much and she's so tired. Tell it to the Lord and cast it before him, but then don't take it back. You know, exactly. we, we tend to give it to him and then we worry about it again. There would be times I would come home from their house, whether she was just weak or it was a bad day, even just driving home, I would just cry out to God, give us strength, give her strength. I get home and I lay down to go to bed and I wouldn't sleep because I'd be worrying about it. And I'd be thinking, what can I do? Well, there was nothing I could do except to lay it at God's feet. Another verse, Psalm 61, 2, when my heart is faint, lead me to a rock that is higher than I. So just like we were saying, Joy, when we can't do anything, 
when we feel weak, God is our strength and he's our refuge. Sharon loved music and she loved to sing hymns. After she passed, I couldn't sing hymns in church anymore. I would just stand there and the tears would roll down my eyes. But that's not to say that they weren't encouraging you at the same time. No, it allowed me to focus on the words of those hymns. One of those hymns, It Is Well With My Soul, where the verse says, And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight, and the clouds be rolled back as the scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. And you know, when it talks about my faith shall be made sight, Sharon's experiencing that now. That's something that I long for. And that song was not written in the playground, so to speak. The author of that song had just found out that his wife and children were all killed in a drowning accident. Right. I mean, and, it, and it starts off. Oh, now I just went when blank peace on like a, river. like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, we go through moments of peace and then, and we think everything's okay. And then when those dark moments, those sorrowful moments come, it's often when we think, I need you, God. And it's still well with our soul. And the only way it is well with our soul is if we know God, we know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. So how then does that fact that you know Christ as your Savior and that Sharon knew Christ as her Savior change your view of heaven? Heaven is more real. Growing up in a Christian home, attending church, going to a Christian school, I've always heard about heaven. I've lost other family members who have been saved. I think there's something about losing someone who's extremely close to you. And plus, how old was she when she died? She was just shy of 49, 48. That's very young, too. So that changes your perspective, too. It does. I want to know more about heaven. I know the usual things. It's really made me want to know, what are they experiencing right now? In John 14 where Jesus, he's comforting his disciples. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that go and prepare a place for you? He's preparing those places for us. And then he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. He's going to take us to be with him. We are never going to be away from him. That's right. We are always going to be in his presence. And then I do like the part here. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Somewhere, I I think I was in elementary school when someone pointed this out. Instead of reading it, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I now read it, I am the way, the one and only way, the one and only truth, and the one and only life. It is only through Jesus Christ that we can spend that eternity in heaven. And that gives so much confidence for those of us that are still here, longing for that day when we'll be in heaven with Jesus Christ who died for us and rose again. As much hope as that is for us. That's also a comfort knowing, for example, in Sharon's case, those last few years were brutal on her poor body. From that day that the Lord took her home to glory, it's an instant change. Matter of fact, on 
both her tombstone as well as your dad's, it says absent from the body and present with the Lord. The moment exactly. that she, her soul was no longer in her body on the earth, it was instantly in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a comfort as well to know that every believer from the moment that the Lord chooses that their life on the earth is done for all of eternity, they are rejoicing, they're worshiping Christ, they're interacting with other believers. You know me well enough to know I'm quite <laughs> verbose. And so I talk long. I sometimes joke around like, I have 10,000 years for you in heaven, and then I got to move on to somebody else. <laughs> I have a friend who, she already has the words for a tombstone, but anyway, she's a planner. It says, free from sin forever. That's another oh, I like that. blessing is that Sharon never has to deal with her own stinking rotten flesh or the sin of other people that affects us. And Instead, she gets to worship Christ for all of eternity. Something else, Joy, I think about is there are far worse things than physical death. There's that spiritual death. There's only two places that you can spend eternity. And that's either in heaven with God, as we've been talking about here. Mm -hmm. Or that's in hell with the eternal fire. It's put that focus for me on seeing people and realizing there's a grim reality to this life. That's right. With all the death we have seen in the world in the last few years, it has set that even more in the forefront of my mind. We all know people who have died from COVID. And we all know what kind of a horrible death that has been. But if they died without knowing Christ, they're in far worse shape now than they were when they were here, than that physical death that they died. But we also need to make sure that our eternal life is secure. We have accepted him as our savior and we're doing everything we can. Not that we're going to live perfect lives. We will never, while we're here on earth, be perfect. We will still sin. We will still do wrong. We need to make sure that we are living for Christ. There's a verse in Proverbs that says, Boast not of tomorrow, for you know not what a day may bring forth. And the point there is we don't know how long God is going to give us on this earth. But we do know that once that moment happens, that our soul is taken from our body, there are no more chances at that point. Going back to what you said the very beginning, and that is we have to not just have a head knowledge of the things that we've heard about maybe when we were children in Sunday school or through a friend or through a relative that has told us about it. But we have to say, what am I going to do with this knowledge? Is it just going to be information about who Christ is? Or is it going to change my life? And if we don't get it from the head to the heart. We have no scriptural guarantee of salvation, meaning heaven for eternity. And if we have not turned our heart to Christ, then the Bible says that there are going to be many who will say, Lord, Lord, have we not in thy name done these wonderful works? And he will say, depart Heart's from me. I never knew you. Had God not gotten a hold of your heart when you were a college student, then you would have been a head knowledge person who he would have said, depart from me, I never knew you. What sobering words those are that people hear God say those words. And I know those are not words he wants to say, but so many people reject that like I was. They go based off of how their family is. But until we make that 
personal decision, then we will hear God say, depart from me. I never knew you. But imagine having to go through all that you went through with Sharon's sickness and then eventual death, as well as your dad's and all these other difficult circumstances in your life without the loving arms of God wrapping you close to him. How do you think that those who have not received Christ as their savior, they deal with great loss like these? You know, Joy, we as a family, we have said that often, especially with that, I guess I can call it probably a three-year period from the time of Sharon's diagnosis to my dad's death. It was only through the grace of God that we were able to go through that. And again, I go back to 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. There were several times I struggled. Of course. But still, it was God's grace that brought me through it, brought my family through it. And it's God's grace that still brings us through it. As people know, grief never goes away. It just changes. That's a good point. You can ask any of my family members. I have my ups and downs still. (laughs) I'm surprised I made it through this as well as I did. (laughs) And I watch people who don't know God go through these things. And I see them suffer horrible depression, even sometimes to the point of suicidal. I could have been that way, but God's grace is sufficient. It wasn't sufficient just for the time going through that three-year period. It's still sufficient today. It can be that way for anyone, as long as they trust Christ as their Savior. You know, as believers in Jesus Christ, those of us who have received Him as our Savior— Philippians 1.21, Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We have the best of both worlds, he's saying, because while we're on this earth, we have Christ to hold us up, to sustain us, to teach us, to guide us, to get us back on the right path. So that's a huge blessing. Yes. And then he says, and to die is gain. It's a win-win. It is. For those of you who are listening who have not received Christ as your Savior, I say this in all love, but if you were gut-level honest and you read that verse, you would have to say, for me to live is something else. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's material possessions. All those things are passing away. They're not going to last. When it says to die is gain, that's for a believer. But if you're an unbeliever in Jesus Christ, to die for you is loss. So you too can say, for me to live as Christ by making the very simple things that Melanie's just talked about. When I'm working with children, we say it's as simple as ABC. What I mean by that is admit that you are a sinner. A stands for admit, and you cannot save yourself. And B stands for believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. And put all of your confidence in him as, as Melanie said, the way the truth, and the life. And then C is to call upon the name of the Lord and confess that sin to him. And then he promises in John 1.12, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. When you are a son or daughter of the one true God, then you can say this of to die is gain. So I would challenge you today that if you have these questions in your mind of how could I ever go through something like what Melanie and her family went through, the way that that can happen 
is by putting your faith and your confidence in the only one that can sustain you. And that is in the God of the universe through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And if you are a believer, please rest in the hope that even in your weakest moments, in your struggle moments, that God will sustain you and he will hold you close and he will be the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And you can depend on him and call out to him for the grace that is sufficient. Rest in his arms because he's all powerful and he is sufficient for you. Don't let your loss allow you to become bitter because God is always good in everything he does and everything he allows in our life. In our greatest times of need, he is all we need and he will sustain us. And one of the verses that Melanie shared was that he is a refuge for us. That's like the impenetrable wall that the enemy can't attack us. We got to hide though in that refuge. Well, thank you, Melanie, for all your time and uh, sharing with us some of these things that were the good points and the struggle points for you (laughs) and even some practical ways that we can help others. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for letting me share my story and share a little bit about my sister. I wish I had known her. And someday in heaven, I'm going to get to you know will, her. You will know her. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll spend 10,000 years with her and then I'll go on to you. You both could spend 10,000 years together. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, thank you again. Thank you.